Hey, Sharper Together family. I wanted to take a moment and ask you a very important question. Have you had a chance to subscribe, rate, and leave a review for the show? Did you know that by subscribing to the show, you'll get notified of each new episode when it releases? Also, your ratings and reviews let me know that you enjoy the content being brought to you by our amazing guests every show. It also gets the word out to others and increases the likelihood of more people joining us as they see this is something others want more of. So would you take a moment, pause the show, subscribe on your favorite app, leave a star rating, and write a brief review. If you need help, simply visit lovethepodcast.com backslash sharp. Thank you so much for being sharper together. Today's episode is brought to you by our Sharper Together patrons. Our patrons make it possible to continue bringing you these life-giving conversations with Christian leaders all across the globe. As Sharper Together patrons, you can receive exclusive content, early access to episodes, and much more. To find out more about becoming a Sharper Together patron, please visit www.sharperpodcast.com backslash donate. your local church. You have to be committed to your local pastors. They are the most vital resource you can have outside of the Word of God. There is no other resource greater than that that God will put in your life specifically. Welcome to the Sharper Together podcast. This is a show built on the Proverbs 27:17 truth that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. It is our hope that listening to real-life stories and Q&A from leaders of all walks of life will encourage, empower, and equip you in your walk with Christ. Today's guest is Chris Honholtz. Chris lives in Reno, Nevada with his wife and two sons. In 2016, he and fellow host Richard Story created the Voice of Reason radio podcast. The program is devoted to two goals, to glorify God and edify the saints. To find out more about Chris or Voice of Reason Radio, visit www.slavetothekeen.com. Let's dive into today's episode and stay sharper together. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for hanging out with us today. I appreciate you joining me. Uh, thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's a real pleasure to be here. I appreciate that. The pleasure is all ours. You have your own podcast, your own radio show. It's called The Voice of Reason Radio. I'd love for you to start off by just telling us a little bit about that, what it is, kind of your heart behind it, how long you've been doing it, those sorts of things. Uh, Voice of Reason Radio is a, it's a collaboration between myself and my, uh, my friend Richard Story. We've been at it for about five years now. In totality, we've probably been doing podcasting somewhere around seven to eight years. We were both, uh, we became friends working on another podcast uh, together. And uh, we started Voice of Reason Radio five years ago, actually five years ago next week. Um, And the reason we started it was we wanted to be able to have a podcast program that basically, you know, directed people back to the Word of God. In other words, there's only one real voice of reason, and that's God's God's Word in the Scriptures. And so we, no matter whether you agree with us or not, we want you to take your worldview from the Word of God. We want you to filter everything that you encounter in life, all the 
the issues of the day, the things that you uh, deal with in your family or your work. And we want you to go back to the Word of God because that's your primary filter. If we don't filter things through that lens, if we don't look at it through what God has given us in His Word, then we're using our own intuition, we're using the world's uh, ideologies, and ultimately we're going to go astray. So our hope and our desires, we always say, is two things. Number one, we want to glorify God. And the other thing is that we want to edify the saints. You know, we we love God, we love His Word, and we just want to be able to share that with our brethren and hopefully always cause them to come back to the Word of God. I love that. I got to listen to a couple of the episodes here leading up to our conversation today, and I really enjoyed it. Yesterday, you came out with one, and it was titled, If You Love Me, Obey my commands. I'd love for you to, obviously, I'm not going to ask you to spoil that because <laughs> people can go and listen to it, but I'd love for you to talk about just a little bit about that episode. Absolutely. Yeah. The the point the point behind that episode is I think one of the big issues within American evangelicalism today is when you call Christians to be obedient to, to the Word of God, to walk in holiness and righteousness, there's a tendency within mainstream evangelicalism to kind of look at that as though you're being legalistic. You're, you're, you're telling people they have to do works. But God in his word tells us that when he redeems us, he's made, he saved us for good works that he set beforehand for us, that we are to be conformed to the image of God. And so we actually demonstrate that God has transformed us, has made us new creations in the image and likeness of Christ when we seek to be obedient. So the whole point of that uh, that particular episode was to take the stigma away from the idea that calling people to be obedient to uh, Christ's commands is about legalism. It's actually about working out the fact that you are a transformed and new creation in Christ. I highly encourage anyone listening to tune into that episode, and I'll have that in the show notes for people can easily find it here as well. So I'd love for you to talk about yourself a little bit now, Chris, just kind of my next question is what's your favorite story about your life that you love to tell? Oh goodness. Uh, yeah. I heard you had asked somebody else on another show and I tried to think about that one. And yeah. it's, <laughs> it's just it's in one case of those I weird, Yeah. I was like, God, goodness, what, sh- what would I say? Probably, you know, I, I've worked in law enforcement for 22 years and my, my favorite story is to explain is my first foot pursuit. It was a situation where I was went to go uh, pay a visit to a person who's on probation. The individual didn't come to the door. I didn't think he was home. And as I walked down the stairs from the apartment complex, I realized the blinds that had been open were now closed. And of course, the individual's hiding. So now I try to get some assistance, get some backup, you know, because there's something going on here. Well, eventually he makes a break for it and runs and we end up having to chase him and you know jumping over fences and and uh, you know catch up to him in another apartment complex. When we catch up to him and we end up taking him into custody, I looked at him and I says, "Why did you run from us?" And he goes, "Well, I didn't want to go to jail." And my, I looked at him. I says, "I wasn't here to arrest you." <laughs> and his immediate response was, "Oh man, don't tell me that." Uh, so, well, now you are. Yeah, you just made it worse. <laughs> you just made it worse, and uh, it was it was one of those instances, you know, that it it really struck home for me as a Christian. This is the the heart of of man. You know, we are sinful to our core, and if we if we think we've done wrong and we think we're going to get in trouble, we're going to do everything in our power to get out of it. That that's just the type of person we are. So that that very first foot pursuit taught me a lot about 
what we do in you know inside our own hearts when we know we've done wrong we're, and we're trying to justify it we're trying it's kind of like adam in the garden hiding away from god as if he could you know you, you almost picture god going adam where are you as he's looking down at him and curled up behind a tree and that's the that's what we are apart from god apart from his redeeming work in christ and that so that moment taught me a lot about the heart a human heart <laughs> Yeah, I love that parallel there to the garden. I was thinking that while you were talking, and so I'm glad that you had had made that connection there about Adam and Eve hiding after their <laughs> sin. And I'm just sitting here, I kind of want to, there's two directions I want to go. I want to ask you about law enforcement, but I want to follow up off of that, of that right there where you talk about us hiding in our sin. Uh, obviously, that comes out of a skewed view of God and mm-hmm. that we're afraid to go to him. Talk about the grace that we have when we do sin, that we can go to God, that we don't have to hide. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that we as Christians, we don't understand God's grace sometimes. Um, we we kind of mentioned this on our program last night. When we are redeemed in Christ, I mean, prior to coming to God and, and prior to coming and being saved and redeemed and made new, we're at war with God. We're, we're sinful to the core. There's nothing about what I can do. There's no good act that I can do that will ever merit any favor with God, because even on my best day, what I do is is for myself in some capacity. It's never about glorifying God. When I'm redeemed and I am made a new creation, I'm given a new heart, new desires, I'm indwelt with the Holy Spirit, and I'm clothed in Christ's righteousness. So as a result of that, there's nothing bad that I can do that will make God love me less because his love is, for me, is the same as his love for his son. The Father loves the Son completely holy, without any fault or blemish, and I'm clothed in Christ's righteousness. So if I'm genuinely in Christ, I will stumble, I will fall, I will sin because I'm still in this flesh, but what, what God sees is, my, is Christ's righteousness in me. So there's nothing that I'm going to do that's going to make God love me less, but in our in the flesh, we still think in terms of if I do good, I'm loved more. If I do bad, I'm loved less. And I, I think what we need to remember is that on my best day as a Christian, God does not love me more than the day I was saved. I'm not approved of more. And on my worst day, I'm not loved less than the day he saved me or approved of less because his grace, his mercy isn't dependent upon me. It's dependent upon Christ. So that should bring us immense comfort. And unfortunately, because we don't always have that perspective, we tend to, it's kind of like when you're scared of your parents as a child, you know you're going to get in trouble for doing something. But in in our case, there's, there's nothing but love and joy and immense satisfaction in us because it's not dependent upon our work. So we can come to the, the throne of grace boldly, not because we've earned it, not because there's anything about us that makes us better today or, or than yesterday, but I can come even on my worst day and I can have the love of God in me, on me, upon me, and I'm not I don't have to be afraid. So that you know, that grace that we have, that we can enter the throne room without fear, I think that should be the most immense comfort for any Christian. Because if he saved you, he saved you completely. You can't lose that salvation. That is his sovereign work. So 
that should always just bring us amazing and comfort and joy. I think a big reason for that is we get caught up in seeing God in the same way that we see life, because we see life on a moment-by-moment basis. And so when we sin, we almost have this idea of, well, God didn't know we were going to commit that sin until just now when we committed it. And so we tend to try to hide from it. But in reality, God knew that sin the moment he forgave it on the cross. He's forgiven every single sin we've ever committed. So that's a great reminder for us. I want to go back to law enforcement. You mentioned your 22 years of service and still serving in law enforcement. I'd love for you to give your perspective on what you're seeing with the media, kind of the portrayal of police officers and the job that they're doing. I'd love for you to talk about that and how we as believers should respond to what we're seeing. You know, it's it's one of those things that it's sometimes very hard to, you don't want to be biased because you have this background. You want to approach things as objectively as possible because ultimately, even within law enforcement, uh, as a brother of mine once said, it draws from the same sinful pool of humanity as any other profession. So within law enforcement, you always have individuals who do things wrong. They abuse their authority. They uh, make wrong choices. And sometimes it means somebody gets hurt somebody dies, somebody's rights are are violated. And so as a Christian, we always have to be willing to be objective. I think most Christians who are biblical Christians and who aren't, you know, openly and uh, and admittedly leftist or or, or, um, liberal in their thinking, most biblical Christians probably understand authority, understand that Law enforcement exists for a purpose, but sometimes we can have a, a, a sense of, of, of blind support, which I have never advocated for. I've always said within law enforcement, there should be a healthy skepticism. In other words, as law enforcement officers wield a certain amount of authority and they can deprive people of their rights and they have to be within uh, within the bounds of that authority. So supporting them up to the point where is there a question that they they, they broke the rules, then let the investigation do its job. And if they're wrong, hold them accountable. The flip side of that, of course, is that you know, what we're seeing in our society today, and that's, I think that's been a, a manipulated effort by a lot of individuals within government, within media, within certain um, activist groups, to paint picture of law enforcement as always in the wrong, that they're always seeking to be abusive, always seeking to deprive people of their rights without cause. And that's the other ditch that people fall into, because especially as we have watched over the last 10, 15, 20 years, even within conservative circles, we've, we've developed a healthy distrust of our government. Well, law enforcement is representative of government's authority to wield power. And so when law enforcement acts on laws that we don't always agree with, we call them tyrants and, and you know, uh, Nazi goose steppers, etc., and I think there's an effort now in a lot of places to play upon that. So what we're seeing today is there are times when it's clear that a law enforcement officer did something wrong, and that is used as the backdrop to paint every incident as officers acting in the wrong. And the problem is, is that most of us have no idea what are the, the rules and, and, and policies and laws that govern what law enforcement does and why law enforcement officers have to make the decisions they do in a split second. It's very, very easy for any of us to sit back and go, oh, I wouldn't have done that, or they they should have done something different. 
when most of our information is from what we see on television. It takes a, an understanding of what law enforcement requires, the laws and the policies, and why they function the way they do to give law enforcement the authorities that they do. And so I think for Christians, what we ought not be quick to do is make snap judgments. You know, scripture tells us that in, in God's law, when he was giving the law to the Israelites, that whenever there was a, a matter to be, a, an accusation to be made, it was on the report of two or three witnesses that a, a matter was to be determined. In other words, you couldn't just take an accusation and run with it. You couldn't hold someone accountable because somebody said so. There's wisdom in that. That's godly wisdom, which says evidence, investigation, let's determine the truth. And I think in the culture that we live in today, it's very, very easy for all of us to act as judge and jury and determine that person is wrong. It doesn't matter what the actual evidence is. Oh, the evidence shows that the officer acted right. I still think he was wrong because I've been caught up in this movement, in this emotional reaction. I believe that law enforcement officers who abuse their authority should always be held accountable. But I also believe that it is not the public's job to do that because they're, they don't know all the reasons why. They don't know what everything that happens in the moment. Even when you have body cam video, there's still things that you can't det- determine and put context to that. A 15, 20 second video bite doesn't tell you all the whole story. So my concern, what I see going on in our culture right now is that we, especially even within the Christian church, is we've been caught up in the narrative. The narrative that tells us that we need to distrust authority at every level. The narrative that says they have too much power, they're too much like the military, they, they should be doing this, 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 and this, without actually knowing why the, those things happen the way they do. My encouragement to the Christian church is go back to the Word of God. W- what are we supposed to do? Romans 13 says that the government wields authority for our protection. But that authority, of course, has to fall within what God has ordained. There is a role for government, and it cannot step outside of that. When government steps outside that role, of course, the church needs to speak up. But when they're operating within that role, and they're seeking to protect life, liberty, property, and they wield the authority rightly, we should be quick to listen, to hear, wait for the evidence, and slow to judge. And unfortunately, I think we have just become so very enamored with the emotionalism in our, in our culture today that too many Christians don't want to do that. They don't want to take the biblical approach. They want to get on that bandwagon. And it can go either way. Blind support of law enforcement is also a danger, as I said before. So we need to wait and weigh out and let investigations take, take their course and let God be the final judge in all those matters as well. I appreciate you taking your time and sharing your perspective on that. Are you still in law enforcement right now, or have you moved on and you're doing something else? Well, actually, I'm, I'm just about done. I've got about two, uh, two and a half years left in my current profession. I've enjoyed the time it, involved in it, but it's also been very hard. It, the, one of the risks with law enforcement is that you can be, uh, develop a, a very jaded view of life. Law enforcement officers spend their days daily dealing with well, oftentimes the least, least desirable people in a society, because they're called out to deal with what appear, are, are allegations of uh, somebody breaking the law. And so you get to deal with individuals who lie, who manipulate, 
who fight, who hurt, who steal, who abuse all kinds of uh, substances and systems. And so if that's all you spend your time around, you can become very jaded in life. It's it's not easy. And so the and of course then there's the the, the system that we we work within. And, you know, well, I believe America has probably the best criminal justice system. It's got many flaws, and sometimes you see things happen over and over again that you just become jaded with the system, and so you start to feel like, am I doing any good? I look forward to the day that I can spend my time in totality serving the Lord in these kind of capacities, writing, doing podcasting, being able to speak to the things of God on a full-time capacity. And it's been probably the great balance for me because I, it brings me back to, hey, God is sovereign over all these things. He's sovereign over the, you know, the good and the bad. Nothing happens outside of his decree. And being able to speak to the things of God and, and encourage people and build them up and edify them has been something that has become a passion for me. So my hope is that when I finish my time is that I can spend more time doing this kind of thing for, for God. But I also have to remember where I'm at, and this is something I, I can hopefully encourage every person who listens to this, wherever God has you, that's his place for you. It may be for a lifetime. It may be for a short time. It may be the hardest job in the world. It may be the best job in the world. But wherever he has you, he has you there for his purpose and to serve in a capacity. And so when we see like Paul writing to slaves and masters, he says, serve your master, not as a person who's seeking to please people, but to please the Lord. You're serving God in that capacity. So that's my daily reminder is that even when life is hard and sometimes the job isn't easy, I'm serving him by doing the job he's called me to. So almost done, just about there, and hoping to move on to other things and, and follow the, the passion that God's given me for the uh, you know for talking about his word and encouraging the saints in that way, but just a little bit longer. <laughs> yeah, that's a great reminder and an encouragement to those who may be in a job right now where they don't particularly love what they're doing or where they're at but just to know that God has them there for a reason. So that's a great reminder. I want to talk about uh, a season in your life, if you would, just share a season in your life that was really difficult, and what did God do in that season? I, I think perhaps one of the most difficult seasons that I faced and that we we faced it as a family was when my wife became ill with cancer. This is probably about nine years ago now. When she had been diagnosed, it was kind of a punch out of left field. And we, we just didn't see it coming. And it, immediately you're going through doctor visits and, you know, tests and, and, you know, setting up for chemotherapy, setting up for radiation. It was probably the, what would have been the longest nine months of our lives. And our children were, were younger at the time. We were, you know, we were homeschooling family. Tell you how tough my wife is. She homeschooled through the entire process. Okay. I don't care how long I've been doing what I do. My wife is a much tougher woman than I am. I don't know that I could have done it. One of the things that's difficult about that, especially as a husband, is you have zero control. Husbands are, we want to fix things. You know, it's, it's our, our greatest flaw is that our wives want us to hear them when they just want to talk and we want to fix the problem. That's what gets us in trouble so often. But you can't do anything. You can do nothing to solve this problem. You have to rely upon everyone else. 
And you have to watch your wife go through illness, pain, recovery, and you have zero control over it. And I think that was one of the toughest seasons for me because as much as I wouldn't want to admit it, I can be a control freak. I want to be able to push things into that little perfect mold so that life goes smoothly. And I had to trust completely in everything that happened, that the Lord was doing exactly what he wanted done and that he was doing this for his plan and his purposes. And when you're used to being able to command a situation and you can't do that, that's really hard. And the truth is, is that, you know, the form of cancer that she had was a little bit more rare and a little bit more aggressive. And it was not as well known as some of the other forms. So there's that ever present fear. You could lose her. How am I going to do this if she's not here? You, you, you want to learn how to trust the Lord. You, he, you know, he will put you in a situation where you have no control. And he, you have to come to him daily on your knees. And you just beg him for the patience, the comfort, praying for her, her, her health and her safety, praying for wisdom for the doctors. And just trying to be there. And the only thing you can do at times is just try to be a comfort for her. That was hard. It was probably one of the hardest seasons of my life. And what what I also found is I couldn't control that. So I tried to control other things. Well, God God has a way of not letting you control those either. And um, it was, she's been, she's been here with us for nine years since then. And some days it's it's not easy because she still has to deal with the, the medication that she takes hurts her body. And some days are harder than others, but she's been such a trophy of God's grace. And I'm, I'm so grateful that he kept her in my life. But I also know that if it, God had decided it was time to come for her to come home, it would have hurt, but it would have been his will for that to happen. And I would have had to have trusted him through that as well. So it was it was an encouragement to me to know that God will carry you through those tough seasons of life. He's in control and, and it's our joy to trust him through it because you can't control those things. You have to let him take the control. Yeah. What would you say? And it's probably really similar to what you said, obviously, but what would you say to the person who's listening right now, who's dealing with a diagnosis of some sort that maybe they, they're newly diagnosed? What would you say to that person? I would encourage them to, to, to trust in God. There is nothing in your life right now that he is not aware of. The illness that he has allowed to come into your life is there because he has ordained it. He's allowed it. And I know that seems terrifying. Why would God do this? I, I believe it is God's desire for us to be so completely dependent upon him that he will break the hold that we have on this life so much that we have no choice but to trust in his grace. And so you are going to, you may be facing a very difficult season ahead. You may have doctor visits that we still don't know answers, procedures or medications that may or may not help. And you're going how how can I possibly have peace in this? How can I possibly trust a God who leaves me with such uncertainty, know that he knows exactly what's happening. The very cells of your body, he's holding together. 
He knows every little detail of what's going on in your body, every little detail of the medications, whether they will or won't work. And he knows every detail of what will happen through this season. And there's nothing about it he's not in control of. And he will use this, as scripture tells us, that everything, everything in our lives is for our ultimate good and for his glory. He puts us through the refiner's fire and purifies us as he brings to the surface those things in our lives that keep us from being in complete communion with him. Those sins, those dependencies, those lack of trust, the the issues of control. He brings them to the surface and he burns them away just as a a a refiner just continues to, to melt down that gold or silver. And he brings those impurities to the surface and he scrapes them away. And with those times of suffering and affliction, he is making you more like his son. And as I've been reading through 1 Thessalonians, uh, my practice lately has been to read a a particular book of the Bible or a portion of a book day after day after day. 1 Thessalonians, he tells the Thessalonians, you came to Christ in much affliction. You knew we would go through affliction. And and chapter after chapter, three chapters, he's talking about affliction. And then the final two chapters, what is his encouragement? That, hey, those who have gone gone to sleep ahead of you, those who have died, don't worry about them because when Christ returns, the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we will join them in the air to be with the Lord forevermore. His encouragement is that one day, while the world looks around and goes, eh, it's, I, I don't know what the problem is, and, and, and he comes as a thief in the night, and they're off busy sinning up a storm, we who expect his return, we're not going to be surprised by it, and we're not going to be there for the judgment of it. Ultimately, even through the worst of afflictions, our hope is that one day we won't face affliction anymore. One day we get to spend eternity with our Savior. So if you are facing that diagnosis, you're going through this difficult time, this season of suffering. God is there with you through it in every moment, and there's nothing that's outside his control. And ultimately, one day, you're going to be with him for eternity, and you'll never suffer those things again. That would be my encouragement to someone who goes through that kind of difficulty. I love that encouragement. Thanks for sharing that. When you think back on to, you know, when you first came to know the Lord, what is something that you wish you would have known about the Lord uh, when you first came to faith? I think I wish I had spent more time studying and being a better student because his word is so rich and it supplies us so much. And it's not that I didn't read my Bible, but 20 years ago, my brain was a sponge. (laughs) I'm 47 years old now. It's hard for me to remember what I did this morning sometimes. And I wish I had spent more time studying and memorizing and and learning how to systematize and learning how to to connect the, the dots in scripture. Because what we learn about God does two things. Number one, it equips us to, to walk in obedience. But number two, it enriches our faith. It, it causes us to love the Lord more. I, I remember when I first started kind of being involved in podcasting, helping on another podcast program, 
I, I remember seeing the internet wars that the, you know, the theology arguments and stuff. And I, I took some time and I sat down and I'm like, well, why, why do we study theology? And I, I started reading through scripture and, and, and making notes in my Bible. And I, I came to a conclusion that the more I knew about the word of God, the more I loved him, the greater my love for him. And so I wish I had, when I was younger, spent more time really learning how to study the word um, so that I, I could have grown even more. So my encouragement to anybody is it, it's never too late. You, you, it may be harder for me now to be a better student than I was 20 years ago, but so what? I mean, you know, just means I got to do a little more work, but it, it allowed it allows me now to, to appreciate him and, and love him more and put my faith in a greater practice. Everything happens in God's timing. So I, I'm not, re, you know, I'm not regretful in any way, but I think if I, if I had had a chance to go back and tell my, my 26 year old self, Hey, be a better student. I, I definitely would do that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm right there with you. What would you say to the person who's I, I can think back on my own struggles with getting into the word and reading it and, you know, having that time to do that on a daily basis as much as possible. But what would you say to the person who doesn't have any sort of time spent in the word throughout their week? What would you say to that person just to encourage them to get into the word, to examine their faith? I, I, I would say this to them. I mean, we actually kind of had a conversation about this with my, my teen boys the other day. A person who doesn't desire to study the word of God there should be some concern. Not that I, and I'm not going to say that if you don't read your Bible, you're not a Christian. I'm going to say, if you don't think there's a need to, that should cause you some concern because why would you not want to know more about the savior who, who purchased you? Why do you, why would you not want to know what he's called you to do, what, what you, he's called you to be? So if you're not doing that at all, I, I, I want you to sit down and think about why and pray about it because that should cause you some concern. You know, the, the psalmist, Psalm 119, over and over again, the psalmist talks about how he loves the, the law, loves the commandments, desires to, spends his days studying, sending, you know, memorizing them, trying to be obedient to them over and over and over again. This is someone who loves the Lord who purchased him. Verse after verse is this expression of how he loves the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. That should be a reflection of the Christian that the word of God is his very revelation to us. And if we never have a desire for that, that should raise at least an eyebrow in our life. Now, if you have the desire, but you can't figure out why, why can't I organize my time, then that's an issue of, of, of prioritization. Look, I, I spend way too much time on social media. I, I will freely admit that. My, my study time could be better if I was less time on Facebook or Twitter. So it's a question of what, what am I valuing more? Obviously, we all have responsibilities. We have our jobs. We have our families. We have to take care of them. So. What is it that is of higher priority in my life that I've put above God and his word? Is it, my, is it my television viewing time? Is it my time with my friends or some downtime where I get to relax? Is it 
social media? Is it, is it video games? Whatever it is. What, what do you put before the word of God? Because that's an idol in, in our hearts at times. It's not to say that God doesn't allow us free time. He doesn't allow us uh, an opportunity to rest and relax. But the point of the Sabbath, which was the point to Christ, who is our Sabbath, was for the Jews to spend a day away from work and focused on the, on the, on the God who purchased them, who brought them out of Egypt into the Israel, made a land for them and a promise, and a, and a promise of the Messiah to come. We need to make time. It has to become a priority. Unless somebody say, well, you're being legalistic. Again, if you are a new creation in Christ and you have been given a new heart with new desires, which is God's promise in the book of Isaiah, then somewhere in there is a desire to know God and his word. And I would just encourage, I'm not saying sit down and, and read 20 chapters of the Bible before you do anything else. My encouragement to my son was, look, if you read one chapter, that's you spending time with God. Make the time to read a chapter of the Bible, and then tomorrow do the same thing, and the day after that do the same thing. But to be encouraged by this, if you miss a day, is God going to love you less? No, we just talked about that. If you read six chapters, is God going to love you more? No. <laughs> If you're perfect throughout the whole week, but or in the next week you miss a, you know a few days, God's love for you doesn't change. But you have been purchased and made a new creation, and you're being conformed to the image of God. And the best way for you to do that is to know what God has commanded of you. So make the time, make it a discipline. It's you know if you know if you're someone who's you know just starting to get into working out and 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 exercising, you don't try to go bench press 350. You'll kill yourself, right? You have to start with being able to do a single push-up. Paul said that bodily exercise profits a little. So he recognized that. But it's the spiritual disciplines that strengthen us even more. So start as you would as if you were exercising for the first time. Open your Bible. Go to the book of John, whatever gospel you want. Pick a chapter or start at chapter one and start reading. And then do it again the next day and the next day. And I think what you'll find is the more you desire to do it, the more you do it, the more you'll desire to do it, excuse me, and the stronger in your faith and in your walk you'll get. But make it a priority in your life because that's God's revelation to you. You don't have anything more important than that. This is God's word to you. And I I, I would just encourage everybody, make time to study his word. When you think about your walk with the Lord, Chris, what have been outside of scripture, what have been some of the most helpful resources to you? You know, I think one of the the most helpful resources was as I started to become more concerned about my studying the word and, and, and studying the gospel and being uh, desirous to know as a, a couple of things happened. The first was I was exposed to at the time is is uh, an evangelist by the name of Ray Comfort. And he had, at the time, a radio program, which is now uh, Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. But I heard this man sharing the gospel, talking about in, in one of the most kind and gentle ways with perfect strangers. And, and he would talk about sin, and he would talk about hell, and he would talk about the gospel of Christ. 
And that really triggered something in me that in this world, there are people who are lost and, and on their way to hell. And it's our, our duty as Christians to be able to talk to them about that. That was, that was one of the first things. So, you know, Ray Comfort and his ministry in Living Waters and, and, and his passion for sharing the gospel was, that, was one of them. And then the next thing that really caught my attention was uh, John MacArthur's book, The Truth War. And it laid out what was going on in this world, that the, that the world devalued truth. It made it a personal interpretation, a personal opinion, and yet the God in His Word is one hundred percent truth. Christ is the truth; He is the truth, the way, the life. It stirred in me something different that I hadn't felt before, and that was I needed to know this God. I needed to know His Word because the world is going to come at me twenty four seven with all of its truth claims. And it's going to denounce everything that I believe and try to make it all about, well, that's your interpretation. And now today we see it, we see it taken even a step further. All truth is considered valid truth until you get to Christ, until you get to the Bible. And then that, that's not true at all. And we're going to force on you a brand new religious truth. And so those were the two things that strengthened my resolve to know God and his word. And then it was just being exposed to so much sound teaching that was available. You know, things like Grace to You Ministries, Ligonier, um, you know, and and so many other resources. Uh, some, you know, the podcasts that I listen to and and have have grown to appreciate. There are always sound teachers out there. There are always people who will commit their lives to preaching the Word of God. And it's why it's important for us to know the word so we can discern the true from the false, or the true, as Spurgeon once said, the true from the almost true. There are sound teachers that, that do that, but probably the, the greatest impact I have, and this is what I would encourage everybody else, is your local church. Your pastors pour themselves into preparing messages every week specifically for you. They pray over their congregations. They minister to them in times of difficulty and and, in times of plenty. And they are the most vital resource you can have outside of the Word of God. You have to be committed to your local church. You have to be committed to your local pastors. There is no other resource greater than that that God will put in your life specifically. And I, I'm blessed by three wonderful pastors at Community Bible Church in Reno, Nevada, and they make so much time to study, prepare, pray, and then invest in our lives to ensure that we're walking in the faith and they're ministering to us. So above anything else, apart from the Word of God, my local church is, is the greatest impact in my life. That's a great word, Chris. Appreciate that. You know, I can second the Ray Comfort thing. One of the first videos that I ever saw of Ray Comfort was the atheist delusion. And I don't know if you've seen that or not, Mm -hmm. but it's a fantastic video just going around that campus there and talking to people about the Lord. And it's convicting when you're not spending any of your time sharing the gospel with people to see Ray doing that and knowing 
I'm supposed to be doing that too. So Chris, what is something that God is teaching you today? Like in your quiet time with the Lord right now, what's something that he's really been pressing upon your heart? Yeah, I think the thing that that hit me just the other day, and again, this is as I was reading First Thessalonians, Paul writes to them and says, you know, we didn't come to you with, you know, something that was false or made up and we didn't do it for our own benefit. We did it because you were dear to us. And it really struck me. It's like those of us that do things like podcasts or um, who go out on the street and evangelize, or if you write a blog or you, you know, you do speaking ministry of some kind, or you're a pastor, the purpose in what we do should be because number one, we love God and we can't imagine doing something other than what he's equipped us to do. But number two, because the people that God has put in our path to minister to, they, they have to be dear to us. If, if your ministry is because you're looking for a platform, it's because you think your voice should be heard or you should be wildly, widely read or, or you have answers that people need to hear. That's the wrong reasons. It's not that God hasn't equipped you and, and, and maybe you can you know, speak into an issue. But you do it because you love his people. That one hit me like a ton of bricks. Like I said, I've been doing Voice of Reason Radio for five years now. And one of my good friends, Chris Huff from Matter Theology, had once said to me something that really stuck with me. He says, you worry about the depth of your ministry. You let God worry about the breath, breath, meaning that you just focus on doing what you're supposed to do. And whoever needs to hear it, that's the number of people God will have hear it. And that was that was really powerful for me. And it, it helped keep me in check when there's those, those temptations to say, well, why, why aren't more people listening? Or, you know, people say this is good, but boy, it sure seems like we have a small audience or whatever it is. And it's like, doesn't matter whether people think we're doing a good job. Doesn't matter whether the audience is large or huge uh, or, or very tiny. None of that matters. What matters is, do I love God and do I love his people? That's what matters. And that, when I read that in her, saw Paul's heart, that the reason that they they went to Thessalonica, they, that, that they endured the affliction and they were being chased from place to place was because the people of God were so dear to him. And so that was the thing that just really pressed upon my heart is that anything that I do ministry-wise has got to be, be because I love his people. And that was just, that was a really powerful moment for me. And I just, it's something I'm, I pray to God now daily, make me do this because I love you and I love his people. That's so good. What a great reminder. I appreciate you sharing that with us today. If you are in my shoes and you are interviewing Chris, and I, hopefully this is a question, maybe you listened to an episode and you heard this before, cause I ask <laughs> everyone this question, but if you were in my shoes and you're sitting down interviewing Chris, what, what's a question that you would ask? Wow. You know, it's, that's that's a really tough one. I, I, I did hear you ask that one before, and I still don't know how to ask answer that question. I think I would want to ask, why do you do what you do? And, you know, what is the motivation to keep showing up every day, every week? And that would be, I think, the question I would want to ask. Because I think sometimes, a lot of times we just do it because, hey, well, I, I should do it. Everybody else is doing it. And I think it's like, I don't think it's a question we ask ourselves enough. Why? 
What is the reason? What is the justification for why we're doing it? One of the conversations I've had with people about you know things that happen in churches is like, what's the theolo- theology of why you do what you do? And you can see the blank stare, that kind of goldfish stare. We, I don't know why, if we've ever thought about it. So for me, if I was to ask myself that question, why do I do it? I love God. I love his word. I want people to be equipped. I want them to to look to his word. I don't care whether I said it, somebody else said it, who it was that pointed them that direction. I, w- I want God's tools, which are us, to be used in such a way that it points everything back to him. So I hope that's why I do what I do. I know myself better than anybody. I know that that's not always the motivation that runs through my heart and my head. And God is really good about kicking my feet out from under me when that happens. But I love the Lord and and I want his people to love him and spend time with him so that they can walk and do the work that he's given them to do. And whether that's one person that hears it, 10 people that hear it, 100, doesn't matter. So I, I hope that what I do is it is that I, I do it because I love him and I'm seeking to honor him. Yeah. You did a great job answering it. I love that question. Cause it, uh, it just puts people on the spot, but I always, I kind of feel like it's a God ordained question in a way, because the, the, the answers that I get are always so good. I never know what direction it's going to go, but it's always such a good response. So I appreciate you answering that. And then my final question for you, Chris is knowing that this audience is the people that are going to listen to this, you'll never have an audience with the same people listening. So what is one big encouragement? What is one big plea that you would say to those who are listening today? I think my greatest plea is what do you worship? What, what is your, what is your worship? What is your, what takes center place in your life? If you say God, what God? Is he a God of scripture? that reveals himself in the 66 books of the, of the word? Or is it a God of your creation? And before you get defensive, I am asking you to ask yourself in, the, in your own heart. We don't like to think that the God that we have in our mind is a God of our own creation. That's just natural. What do you worship? It is, the, is it the sovereign God of the universe? who spoke everything into existence, who commands every aspect of your life, who has set forth in his moral law what is right and good? Is it the God of Scripture who is perfect, righteous, holy, and that his commands extend forth from that? Or do you worship a God that winks at your sin? Do you worship a God that says, well, I think God's loving and he'd be okay with this. If your God is not the God of scripture, then it is an idol and you need to repent. He has purposely given us all that we need for our Christian life, walk, and practice in scripture. It's all there. We don't need outside analytical tools. We don't need worldly ideologies. And we certainly don't need our own opinions. We need to know the God of Scripture, and he must take center place in our lives. Everything that I do must be for the glory of God. And even when God equips me with gifts and callings 
to do amazing things. And maybe that that drive is to go out and create amazing structures or art or sports. Why am I doing it? Am I doing it for my own glory or am I doing it for him? What do you worship? My encouragement to you is to worship the God of the Bible because he is the only thing that is worthy of our worship. He is the only thing that is perfect, righteous, holy, and good. He demands our worship. He deserves our worship. And the best thing we can do is to know him completely through the conscious effort and study of his word, to be in prayer, and to praise him in all things, because that's the only thing in this universe that deserves that. So I just ask you, what do you worship? And may it be the God of scripture. Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. I really appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Anytime. Love to do it again sometime. Would you pray for us as we close out the show today? Absolutely. Lord God, we just, uh, we come before you. We thank you for this amazing technology that allows us to speak to people, well, quite honestly, that many of us will never meet. We get to talk about you, your word, your amazing grace, your gospel. We get to encourage one another and build each other up. And so I pray, Lord, that it, this conversation, that the people that hear it, they are blessed, that they are encouraged to love you, to worship you, to spend time in your word, to spend time in prayer, to conform their lives to the, uh, to the image of Christ. We live in amazing times and chaotic times, Lord. But yet, Lord, you're in control. And Lord, I just pray that those who are hearing this remember you are in sovereign control of all things. And we can worship you even in the most difficult of times. And we should. I pray for Michael. I I pray for his podcast and and his ministry, Lord. I pray that you bless him and uh, you use him mightily. And I pray that those who listen to this show and and those who hear him and are impacted by his ministry are equally blessed. Thank you for this opportunity. And Lord, as we go forth in our week, may we seek to glorify you in all things. And may we find someone to talk to about the gospel, because this is a lost and dying world that desperately needs Christ. We just pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode of the Sharper Together podcast. If you want to hear more incredible conversations just like this, please make sure to subscribe to the Sharper Together podcast on your favorite listening device. You'll receive each episode downloaded directly to you so you never miss a show. Would you take a moment and subscribe and review this podcast? Because the more subscriptions and reviews we receive means more and more people that will receive and hear about these life-giving conversations. You can find more information at www.sharperpodcast.com. We'll see you next time as we stay sharper together.